0: In 1972, Salathiel Fisher plotted land in the area we now know as Fishers. Settlers came and a community was born. In this series of podcasts, I will be exploring the history of our local community. Here is the latest installment. I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers and uh, I am at the AV room, the AV lab, if you want to call it that. This is where people do video and audio recordings. It's all part of the Ignite as part of the library. And if it's the, on the lower level, Not the, some people call it the basement, I call it the lower level. Uh, there are a lot of maker spaces here, lots of creation going on. I, if you ever come into the library, ask for a tour. The people here will be glad to give it to you to see what all is here, including this, this AV room where we are recording. We're going to talk about the... F- History of Fishers. It's part of our series that I have been working with the City of Fishers uh, to uh, produce. Cassidy Robertson has been very involved in this, as is Ashley Elrod. And Ashley is joining our podcast today. Welcome, Ashley.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, the people who are here with the history are the Kincaids, Randy and Gail Kincaid. And the Kincaid uh, family, of course, is involved with all kinds of history Information of Fisher's, but the Flanagan Kincaid House is a big part of Fisher's history. So, Randy and Gail, thank you so much uh, for joining me today.
2: Very pleased good. to thank be you.
0: here, and uh, good to meet you for the first time. I'd yes. certainly heard about you, but uh, it's it's great to meet you in person and have this discussion. I'm going to start the discussion just just with this, and ask Gail to start, and I want Randy to kick in, but. There's no question that this, this house this the center of what we're talking about is a very big part of Fisher's history. But uh, I think th- we need to com- keep in mind that it's called the Flanagan Kincaid House, and there's a reason for that. So, Gail, just kind of give me a short history of that house, how it became the Flanagan House and the Kincaid House, and how we got to where we are today.
2: Uh, Peter Flanagan was a very successful farmer, in this area. He was one of a group of the first white settlers that came in. He came from Lawrence Township and his wife, Nancy Mock. At one point, the house was built anywhere between the 50s and the 60s. Census records that I've looked at indicate they were living in the area in 1950 with all of the children at that time. But, 1960 is the most likely build date for the house, and at that point, there were two adults and uh, nine children living in this structure. Um, One had married and moved out, and one had yet to be born.
0: Nine children, really? Nine children. That's amazing because I'm the oldest of six, and I couldn't imagine living. I've seen the outside of that house, and that's uh, that's just an amazing thing to know. So it went from Flanagan to Kincaid. When did that happen?
2: Um, Cora Flanagan was the last of the Flanagans to live there. Her husband was the grandson of Peter and Nancy. When she chose to move in town after her husband, Ingram, died, She actually was good friends with my husband's grandfather, Loma, and his wife at the time, Hazel. And Cora chose to sell the farm and the house property and all that was attached to it to Loma. So then, probably in the early 30s, it became part of the Kincaid family. So, Randy, when you uh,
0: think of the Kincaid house and all the memories attached to it, tell me what comes to your mind.
3: The um, not a lot, only because I never went in the house until I was say twenty years old. Um, when I was growing up, the house was always rented to somebody, so that was kind of off limits. Uh, not a lot. Um, when I did go in the house, I was going ooh, <laughs>
0: because <laughs> it had not been. It was it was a very old house. It's a very yeah. old house.
3: It's also very small. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not built with electricity or plumbing, so all of those things were added. Um, and you can imagine when I was 1970-ish something, when I was 20, the uh, the wiring was exceptionally substandard, uh, and so was the plumbing.
0: <laughs> I've then, heard. Yeah, I'm going, location, to, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask uh, Ashley sorry. just to come in here and, and leave the discussion for. A
1: no, moment. I was just going to say, and that location at that time was uh, right there at 106, just uh, west of Lantern, right, right, uh, right there where just north of Cedia and uh, uh, Stanley. And uh, I, when I had first heard that, you know, it's hard to believe. It's Because it is farmland right there. And uh, it's hard to believe there was a house there and all that was around it. And so was the home – the home was attached to the cattle farm that was there as well? Or was the cattle farm kind of disconnected from the, the homestead there?
3: Um, the house wasn't – well, I take that back. Uh, Uncle Bob and – Uncle Bob, <laughs> I have two, um, both lived there mm. for a time.
2: Yeah, for a time. Uh, Loma had four kids. Um, my father-in-law, Don, was the youngest of all of them, and he had a twin who had a pig farm where Navient, or Sally Mae, now is. Um, but... Don's oldest brother Bob and his wife Frances lived in the house with their two sons for quite some time until they built a home in Fishers which has now changed hands and that's where the 116 um, apartments or condos are. But where the house is that's Dinner Bell Farm 2 and that's where Loma had a lot of his dairy cattle. Where Randy and I live that's Dinner Bell Farm 1 which at a later point Randy's father had had enough of milking cows, so he decided he would raise black Angus.
1: And thus right. started the Kincaid's. Yeah,
0: yes. The that's New right. If, if you think of Kincaid, you think of the house, but you also think uh, of, of the meat operation. So that's uh, your family as well, right, Randy?
3: Yeah, my started that uh, originally down on Central Avenue downtown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some old pictures of it, and mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things we figured out is that was run without any refrigeration. <laughs> how it, did they do that? Uh, they use ice. Okay. Um, but it hadn't been invented mm-hmm. to a practical point.
0: At yeah, that people time. forget how much ice was used in those days mm-hmm. for, to preserve almost anything. I want to ask one thing, and I'll bring Ashley in again, but I really. Uh, I have a, a a big memory of this because i started my blog in 2012 and i remember when the move was made of the house that was a fairly big news story locally at the time i couldn't actually follow because it was, lo- it was a, a labored long process people were warned not to get in the way of the path of that move because it's a slow roll to get that moved from where it was to to where it is today I think it's on the other side of the interstate, if I remember correctly. So uh, I'm going to ask Gail and then Randy to talk about this. Your thoughts and feelings when the decision was made to move that house and how that move was handled.
2: The initial uh, plan by Thompson Thrift, who owns the property, was simply to demolish it. And that was not uh, received well. And so there was a groundswell of activity, people wanting to save it. And I think... They wanted to save the house because of what it represented. It's like saying, we don't like something in our town anymore, let's tear it down. No, this was something worth saving. Um, It sits now on a parcel of ground near the highway, but at the time it had been talked about moving it to the roundabout that's close to Ikea um, in that general area, which is a very large roundabout. Years ago it was actually a helicopter landing pad. Um, I'm not certain where that stands, but that would be a perfect place for it because it would fit.
0: And, you know, Randy, it's sad because I I see that building sitting out by the interstate. It's nice to see it and all, but there's no electricity hooked up to it. There's no water or sewage hooked up to it. So that building just sort of stands out there. There's no easy way to get to it, even if you wanted to look at it. So when you see that house just sitting out there by itself, what, what goes through your mind?
3: I would like to see something done with it. It looks kind of lonely. Um, and I think it would make a great landmark for fishers. Uh,
2: That's something that your dad wanted. He he mm-hmm. bought the property from his father oh, so very long ago. But he wanted it to function as a landmark. Um, and... Mm. While the interior may not be usable space because of sizing and age and other factors, the exterior—I mean, let's face it—we could have a house in a roundabout. That's something Carmel doesn't have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a great line, and and that's a sale point. That's a
2: selling point because they don't. We have, and it also is a very handsome house from Mm -hmm. the exterior, and I think it would just look far better than just sitting there being dejected and occasionally tagged um, by the highway.
0: Well, Ashley, I know that there has been a lot of discussion about mm-hmm. moving that to a roundabout or some other location where mm-hmm. it would people could see it would have some meaning. Are we any further along on that?
1: You know, this is an ongoing conversation and uh, the, the plans for the roundabout move uh, just... Didn't work out in terms of the the series of events that needed to occur in order for us to acquire it and and move it. But uh, it's certainly you know it's there for a reason uh, and not demolished for a reason. And it's um, you know some one of those things where you you sort of have to wait for the right opportunity uh, because of uh, its meaning to the community or or I think you really phrased it the right way it's uh symbolism to the community and uh, and so it's it's certainly something that gail and i have talked a lot about uh as we've as we've talked about fisher's history and um you know i certainly understand you know the the uh value of it to the community
0: you know randy Gale talked about the fact that there there was a proposal to demolish that and there were a lot of people in Fishers who said hey no please don't do that and that's that was that groundswell that caused the the, the house to be moved so I guess it is good news that it it still exists and that it's still there
3: my father would field phone calls weekly people asking about the house everybody's got a very romantic
4: Mm -hmm.
3: vision of the house um Usually we fix that by taking them inside.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've said more than once that it looks great on the outside. If you go on the inside, you get a different view. And even if you fixed it up, you don't – that would really help that much.
3: Um, Well, it's just four boxes Mm -hmm. stacked up. Um, The interior walls are probably not – you probably couldn't move them Mm -hmm. because it's holding up too much. Uh, the outside is remarkably straight and plumb, uh, and I wasn't sure it would survive the move, in it certainly well, did. Well,
0: you know, that was a concern, Gail, because I remember the discussion at the time that it, there was some risk in, in making that move, so the fact that that building, the way it had to be built at the time it was built, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that it survived that move is almost like it, it was meant to survive. Your
2: thoughts? I I am grateful that it, it survived. It was a wonderful thing to watch when they did it. Um, I think that it is worth looking into to see if it would survive another move, depending upon where the city feels it would best uh, represent the city of Fishers. Um, it would be...
0: Well I think I think that uh, at this point it's good to hear that the discussions continue mm-hmm. and that that people care about it. I think there are people at the city administration and in the community like the two of you and and many others mm-hmm. who who have an in, as long as there are people who have an interest in preserving this house you know to me that's good news to me mm-hmm. and I and that's the feeling that I'm getting on this. Um one thing I'd like to bring up uh, is that is tied to this is something that I know because I moved to Fishers in 1991. Talking to you two, I'm, I'm a newcomer I mean, <laughs> because you were here a lot longer than, uh, than I've been here. But even when I moved here in 1991, that uh, that farming community was still a big part of it. If you go to HSC High School, the only high school at the time, and not nearly as big. There was a huge agricultural component. But it's still there, but it was a really a big part of the HSC High School because there were, were so many farm families that uh, that attended the high school. Uh, I'm going to ask Randy to start first on this. Uh, I, I would like for people, as we celebrate this sesquicentennial, to get a feel for just how much agriculture is a part of the history of Fishers that people who have moved here recently would not know
3: well agriculture was everything and all the businesses that were here at that time serviced mm-hmm. the farms and the farmers be it the grocery store Reynolds farm equipment mm-hmm. the hardware store um, so farming was everything obviously we're growing away from that but
0: well, yeah, I mean, there's some agriculture in the area, but we're obviously our, our economy is quite different now <laughs> yes. than it was then. Uh, although the school system with Wayne Township, there's still a lot of agriculture there. But, Gail, I, I really do feel that there's – how would you explain to someone who is new to Fishers, they come to you and say, I understand you know a lot about the history of Fishers. Talk about how agriculture formed this communi- community in the early days. How would How would you answer that?
2: Well – Being at the library, too, I can take my library card and look at newspapers from way back in the day, and I can see announcements at the home of Loma and um, he had had two wives because the first one passed away. But at the home of Loma Kincaid, a dinner party was served and... Yeah, with the Flanagans, mm
3: -hmm. Uh and that was a feature in the newspaper.
0: (laughs) Listen, my my dad grew up in a little town near near a little town called Legody, Indiana. I've been there, and uh, you know, my grandfather had a farm that was he sold it when I was twelve. I have great memories of that, but. they had a newspaper that just went out of business a couple of years ago. It was a weekly, and uh, my dad was subscribed to it. And they had pre- <laughs> they had articles exactly yes. like that. You know, they had a dinner party here. There was a social gathering. <laughs> there was a church gathering yes. here.
2: That was news. That that was what it was all about. And it was everyone was important to everyone else. When I married Randy and we moved here in 1983. It was like, oh, you can't really be a Fisher's resident until you've had multi generations here. Because everywhere I go, be somebody who's related to him or knew his father or knew his uncle or sold cattle or pigs or, you know, that was the common denominator.
1: Well, and I think as a agricultural community, by nature, that creates a tight-knit community. You're all relying on each other, whether it's from a supply standpoint or just an extra hand around harvest or planting. And I know when I've had the opportunity to speak with you guys before, uh, you know, just talking about cousins and, uh, and you know, just the, the community coming together uh, around... Um, you know, you know, small town events, and uh, you know, really just being able to not only uh, ext- extended family and having cousins and and uh, and relatives across the the town at the time, but also everybody was there to support and uh, and be together uh, because of this common thread. There. If you were to
2: look at the Flanagan family tree, you would see, oh, this one married an Eller, this Mm -hmm. one married a beaver, this one married, and all the names, Manship, and you would see there's an intermingling because it was a small community and they kind of stuck together. It's very interesting to look at the family trees of these. But when we were dating, this guy knows how to show a girl a good time. They closed 116th Street for the fish fry. I
1: love and it. And he
2: and he took me to that, and it was it was just it was delightful.
0: Oh yeah, fish fries are a big part of but a they, small they, community. They closed
2: Randy. 116th Street.
0: And how could you do that today? For mm-hmm. Very rarely, not for yeah. a fish fry. Randy, I'm sure you have a lot of memories of those days. Um, yeah,
3: it's been a long time. A lot of memories from my father. You know, community was so close back then. Um, he graduated in a class of, what, 14 kids? Uh, but the, there was a fire. And this happened more than once. The first thing they would do is go to the high school and pull all the boys out to go fight the fire. Mm. Really? Mm-hmm. There wasn't so much fighting the fire as was... You know, trying to get the belongings out of the house.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that I do remember. So you, was it so bad that did they have fire equipment or they had to pass the bucket? I mean, sometimes I, in old days, that's what happened.
3: Yeah, I think they had a fire truck. That's good. But, you know, getting water is the bigger problem.
0: Oh, yeah, because you had to get bring the water in or right. find
3: a source somewhere. The, yeah. the truck could probably handle 500 gallons and... You know, at that point, you're just trying to keep it from spreading to save the barn,
0: just mm-hmm. <laughs> save the people and what you can from the place, right. and then mm-hmm. just hope for the best after that. You just do the best you, can. yeah. That's a volunteer fire department. Yes. You know, that's what it was for many, many years here. Um, Ashley, anything you want to bring up?
1: No, you know, I was just going to add that. I loved this story of this, you know, small town fish fry that shut down 116th and imagining what what would happen today uh, in a a, um, sort of similar fashion. Spark Fishers uh, has done that in the years past, but uh, certainly not in the intimate scale that I think a lot of the residents here were able to enjoy and uh, really bring that sense of community together around a fish fry.
0: You know, you talk about cousins. My dad, being in a farm family, was one of ten. I have—I think I met all my cousins once at least, but I don't know if I remember them all. I mean, I have—I mean, I know I don't know all their spouses, but I certainly—I have met. I know some of them better than others, but I don't know. Randy, having a large family, a lot of cousins, and people whose family that you know, have you ever come up to somebody who clearly knows you and you cannot remember who they are? Um, all the time. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> How do I know you? Um,
3: no, uh, as far as the Kincaid clan, um, also included the Specks, the Hannas, the, the Randall—not uh, Randall's, uh, the Rollins, mm.
2: um, Randalls.
3: The Randalls. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is like the small towns you still find in Appalachia.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, just hearing all these names, a lot of your listeners will recognize names of roads or even uh, subdivisions throughout the community. And what I think is really interesting, uh, my assumption or my hypothesis is that uh, not very many residents can connect these names of people who owned these uh, you know, tracts of land and uh, and probably farmed were uh, you know direct connections to these names, and so um, you know that's our hope with with this whole effort is to connect people to the history that um, you know Welchel Springs is you know from the Welchel family and, uh, and and you know example there's so many examples of that throughout the community, and so uh, it's just fun to hear these names the stories behind those names and i know we had the opportunity to talk a little bit just about growing up in fishers and uh you know some favorite memories of it and i think when we spoke um you know you had recalled you know it was Pretty quiet because there weren't very many people around, um, but that there were still some moments. The fish bar- fry being one of them that you had brought up, but moments where the whole town would gather and um, and you know just get in probably into some mischief around uh, on a Saturday night. Oh, I can,
0: no, I'm sure that never <laughs> happened, right?
3: <laughs> My dad told me one of the favorite things to do on Saturday night was to get your rifle come to the grain elevator here and shoot rats. <laughs> I mean, that was a community service, actually. But
0: Well, yes, that's a public service for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, Reynolds Farm Equipment, you know, we've already talked about that. Just what a big name Reynolds has been in the history of fishers. But, uh, you know, Reynolds started out as just a farm operation they're much more than that now and I, I had about five years ago i did a podcast with larry reynolds and that was a that was a walk down memory lane because he had a lot of stories to tell about the early days of fishers and they were some of them were great some of them, he told me one story i'll share here is that uh, when when uh, commercial drive was first named uh, you know, you have to write out the uh, printout or whatever, the sign that goes up to show people they're on commercial drive. I guess one of the main signs got misspelled. It looked like it was chimerical drive. <laughs> and nobody bothered to change it for years. They just thought it was kind of a town joke that there's somebody misspelled commercial drive. I mean, those are the kind of stories you only get from people who have lived here a long time. Isn't that right, Randy? Oh, absolutely. And Larry's the person to really to really ask. He, mm-hmm. he knows a lot. Yes, and I have, a spe- if you go to com at the very top, I have links to my various uh, podcast series. And this series about history um, is there on a page you can click onto. And I added Larry Reynolds' okay. r- interview, which was about five years ago. But it's history, and it's still good today. <laughs> All those stories still stand. When you think, Gail, about what remains in Fishers from the days of yore, I mean, Reynolds has got to be one of the main ones as far as what we can still say okay that, that family's been in Fishers for a long time
2: yeah Reynolds um, I'm trying to think what else is the same from the last 40 years and there's probably things but well, people retire, you know, yes. uh,
0: and, and, and uh, sometimes they close their businesses. They don't leave it. to Sometimes the family members don't want to take it over. But Reynolds is an example of how the family has, has kept that going. So a lot of the things that people remember, businesses or enterprises from the past, it's not that uh, they're, they're gone for any other reason. The owner said, okay, I'm, I'm retiring and nobody else wants to take it over so either i'll sell it to somebody else or i'll just close up shop which is which is a story you hear a lot in a lot of small towns these days
3: i was trying to think of any businesses that were actually still here that were here when i was growing up like um Mm -hmm. archers Mm -hmm. and they retired they retired retired. um and the lumber yard mm-hmm. where the mm-hmm. burned camp is, boot camp is, mm-hmm. uh, manship garage, where they, it was a garage, they repaired cars. Um, my father actually brought the, uh, the draft horses up to Fisher's to <laughs> get them shooed or shod on um, mm-hmm. at Lantern Road, just north a little ways. Uh, that's where the blacksmith was.
0: Oh. Isn't that something? Those were the days. You know, it's interesting that the first historical marker we've received from the State Historical Society, what was it about? Grave robbers, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. and the grave robbing story, and the reason the state took interest, and I'd like to hear more comments from any of you on this, the reason that the state took interest in that is that really started uh, the, whole, uh, the whole regulation of, of all that. The state had never bothered to regulate it until this grave robbing thing happened in Fishers where they were providing the school of medicine, <laughs> these, <laughs> these bodies. And finally, the state said, I think we need to regulate this. And <laughs> and if it weren't for this grave robbing in Fishers, the state would have waited a long time to, to have actually done that. But isn't it kind of ironic, uh, Gail, that we have – our, our historical marker from the state is about the grave robbers. <laughs> <laughs> our claim
3: to fame.
4: <laughs> our claim to fame, Randy, that, right. There you go.
2: Yes. But there are so many stories that his father would tell me. Um, he wanted a dog, so he ordered one, and it came in on the train. Um,
3: in a bushel basket. In a bushel
2: basket. That was Dewey the Wonder Dog, and, and he could play ball, and he liked to ride on the top of the, the truck cab, and if they took the corners too quickly we would fall off and get back on. (laughs) Um, Try to visualize that for a minute. And I've got photographs of a lot of this stuff. But um, it just was very interesting to me listening to his dad talk and remember. Mm
0: -hmm. When you're having a good time, uh, time flies. We're here about 30 minutes now. What I would like each of you to do is just give me some final thoughts about the history of Fisher. Something you might... What someone who's just moved to Fishers or maybe just a few years ago moved to Fishers and maybe doesn't know about our history that you want people to know as a kind of a final thought. Randy, I'm going to ask you to, to start on that. Um,
3: I think just remembering our roots that was in agriculture um, and what those people went through growing up here, you know, not having any monitor conveniences uh, that we just all take for granted now. Indoor plumbing was a big deal. Uh, I think just remembering where you come Mm -hmm. from. Excellent. Uh, Gail,
0: your thoughts?
2: And and piggybacking on that, what is coming into the city and the buildings and the amenities and everything that our mayor and his um, council people have done is wonderful, but it's only one dimension of the big picture, and with just new and shiny, there's no depth we have to remember where some of the depth is, too, and that includes older buildings or farming or older citizens. Mm-hmm.
0: Of which I now am one, <laughs> whether I like it or not. Yeah. Ashley, as somebody who was on the city staff, uh, mm-hmm. your thoughts uh, to, to wrap this up?
1: Yeah. I You know, one of the things that have, has struck me as I've kind of delved into Fisher's history uh, over the last uh, – since the, over the last year really, is coming from our roots and uh, the farmers and the train and everything that kind of created the foundation of what Fishers is today um, is all centered around this idea of entrepreneurship. And I, you know, to me that it's really striking uh, because it is such a focus of our work today. Um, But when you, Look back. I so admire the entrepreneurial spirit of the farmers, uh, the Reynolds family. You know, creating this uh, farming equipment uh, business that is, you know, they're one of the top, uh, the top John Deere uh, providers in the country, I believe, to to date. And you know, there were just so many examples of of this entrepreneurial viewpoint that i think is is uh is goes very deep into fisher's roots and i think that's inspiring to me and i and i hope that it can those stories um of the past and today continue to be preserved and that's part of this effort so that future generations know what uh what was built here
0: and, Ashley, thanks to you and uh, your staff member, Cassidy Robertson, for putting this series together and for putting this podcast together. Uh, Randy Kincaid, uh, thank you so much, history there. And, Gail, you're such a student of history of fishers. Uh, we could probably talk a lot longer, but we just kind of scratched the surface here, and I hope we can enlighten some people on how where fishers came from. So to all three of you, thank you very much for your time today. Can you have a second? Oh, sure. Randy. You.
3: Yeah. This probably will indicate how much things have changed. My grandfather bought land out here at about $100 an acre. Hmm. Okay? He thought my dad was nuts when he paid my grandfather $200 an acre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doubled his money. Huh? Right.
3: Um, but, you know, compare that to what land's going for oh, now. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh.
0: Yeah,
4: so shows I, you I, how much You have to put
0: so many zeros behind that now. that it's a, Yeah, that's a great point. And thank you for adding that, mm-hmm. too. And thanks again for all three of you being with me today. It's been a joy to uh, have this podcast with all of you.
1: Thank you, Larry. Right. Thank, thank you.
0: you. Thanks for listening to this special series of LarryInFishers.com podcasts all about the history of this place we call Fishers on the occasion of our sesquicentennial. Thanks for listening. Please be safe and be kind.